Welcome to another episode of Living an Altered Life. This episode, I am joined by a guy that I met uh, down at Cape Fear 24 Hour because it seems like I meet really, really cool people all the time down there and uh, ran a couple laps with him. And uh, his name is Joey Lichter. And I'm telling you, I've been reading a little bit about some of his ultra running and just really excited to have him on the podcast. And so, Joey, you ready to go for a run? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Mike. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So let's start. Kind of tell us a little bit about who is Joey Lichter and what does he do when he's not running ultra races? Yeah, sure. So I live in South Florida. Um, I grew up in South Florida and went off to school to study chemistry. Uh, came back to South Florida in my late 20s to become a professor at a local university. And I've been there since. I've been teaching for about 14 years. I teach uh, chemistry courses, uh, general chemistry, analytical chemistry, sometimes organic. And um, I also teach courses on sports and psychedelics. So I have a lot of varied interest academically. Uh, besides that, I'm a parent to a amazing six-year-old Rottweiler named Roger. And um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's about... As good of an intro as I can give you. That is awesome. <laughs> we're we're going to delve more into the psychedelic thing. But let's kind of start with, you've been a professor for 14 years. Um, not an easy profession, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, if you, it's funny, if you watch the uh, Barkley Marathons uh, movie, the, the documentary about it, there was some point in that film where they talk about how so many successful ultra runners are like PhDs and engineers. And there's something about the, the willingness to, to do things with very little reward, yep. <laughs> but to go full in, right. As a PhD, you know, I studied uh, chemistry, got for undergrad and graduate school for you know, 11, 12 years before I could come into academics. And it's not a high paying job, but there's something um, intrinsically rewarding to helping people learn about the world and, and better understand it. So yeah, that's what drove me to do it is I just really love helping people and really love science too. That's awesome. So now were you a runner throughout high school, college, all that, or how did you get into running? Yeah, I wasn't really a runner in, in high school, in college. I, I sort of picked it up as uh a stress reliever, probably once every two weeks or so. It really wasn't uh, wasn't until probably my late twenties when I moved back to Florida that I found myself running regularly. And um, you know, it was really at first just for fun. I would take my dog out. And we'd go out for five or six miles, and then um, I had a friend once ask me and say, "Hey, you want to run a marathon?" And I hadn't even run, you know, a half marathon. And we just went ahead and we signed up. And next thing you know, I was training and just really enjoying it. And, um, you know, that was probably 2010. And here we are. That's wild. So since you've studied science and chemistry and everything, are you able to link the running and the science together? Yeah, the, absolutely. The science of running and all that? Absolutely. I think um, the course that I teach right now at my university about sports, we we have this assignment where 
I make my students run, but at the same time, I, I have them study exercise physiology and understand, you know, what is an aerobic process and what other types of fuels do our bodies use and what are the types of stretches that are healthy for the way that we are using our bodies. And uh, yeah, I, I really like to dig into the specifics um, and, you know, not just for myself, but really turn it around and, and, and throw it at my students to have them learn. That's got to be an amazing process to see the lights come on in the student's eyes and think about something people see as a hobby running, but be able to talk about the physiology and all the science behind that. That's got to be very satisfying to see the lights come on. Yeah. And, you know, so, so I should explain this course because I, I, I'm proud of it. The course is through our honors college. The honors college of my university tries to create courses that you wouldn't find in your traditional chemistry department or athletic training department. So I came up with this course. That's exactly what you're talking about is connecting the knowledge of sports and the, and the joy of sports with the understanding of it academically, but not just on the physical sciences, but even social sciences. And so <laughs> the course came to me in a vision. I know I'm going to sound sort of oh, go for it. This is awesome. Well, so I, I was in Switzerland in 2017 racing what's called a DECA, which is a triathlon that is 10 times the distance of a normal Ironman. Oh my God. So Ironman, most people know Ironman, the big brand. They do a, it's a triathlon. So you swim, bike, run, you do a 2.4 mile swim a 112 mile bike and then a, a marathon 26.2 mile run so a deca is 10 times all that so 24 miles in a pool wow and 1120 miles on a bike which i did along the rhine river in in switzerland and then 262 miles of running walking crawling uh whatever it took to get it done and on one of the nights that I was running, I just remember having these sort of um, parallel thoughts. One of them was, you know, what a, what a, you know, religious experience to be, you know, with this small group of people. Uh, there was only maybe, you know, a field of, of 20 runners, 20 athletes. And we were, we were sort of um, isolated from the rest of society. We were in our own little, you know, almost rite of passage that, uh, felt very, um, it felt very transcendental. It felt like we were no longer doing normal things. We were doing things that only superhuman beings could do, though everyone was, you know, a human being. We're not, we're not magicians. Um, but it felt very religious. It felt like, you know, this was kind of finding my purpose. At the same time, I had this parallel thought of how many calories did I take in this hour? Did I take in the 200 like I was planning? How much of it was carbohydrate? How much of it was fat? Um, do I have any protein recently? Have I taken any caffeine? So I had these two juxtaposed thoughts of the sort of religious aspect of sports and the, you know, nutritional, what does it take to do this? And I thought to myself, you know, wouldn't it be neat to create a course where students can kind of understand that through sports, we can understand things like spirituality and also things like nutrition and, you know, metabolism. And 
So I came back after that race. I finished that race. I came back to the States. I told the Dean, I said, I got this great idea. We're going to cover everything about the world, but we're going to do it through a lens of sports. And, and that's what I did. And, and that running assignment, you know, it, it, it's really crazy, but during COVID when everybody was being forced inside, I kept doing the running assignment and that those semesters, when I taught that my students basically told me that that was like the key thing that kept them sane, you know, when everybody was being told, especially down here in South Florida, where we had some really high COVID count, uh, a lot of these students, like the only reason I could get out of my house was to go do your running assignment. And that's awesome. Man, that, yeah. You know, so, so it, it's been really cool um, to be able to link, you know, my passion with my, my career. That is awesome. So how did you get into the ultra world? I mean, you deck obviously, but what, what was from 2010 marathons? When did the whole ultra thing come in? Yeah. You know, before I came on your show, I was thinking living an ultra life, you know, what does that mean? And if I think back to being a kid, even, I think I always liked taking things too far. Awesome. <laughs> I remember, you know, playing music with my friends for hours and summertimes when I was in college, I would drive all over the country um, seeing music festivals and I would drive, you know, ridiculous hours in the car you know, where I have friends who are like, oh, I don't like to drive for, you know, even like, you know, whatever, 50 miles. I would go for eight hours, nine hour drives to go see my favorite bands or to go visit a friend and, and go see a, a festival. And so I always had this sort of ability and, and desire to not do things at just the mediocre or basic level. And um, when I started running, you know, I didn't really know much about ultras. I started, you know, running, like I told you, my late twenties, it was when I started doing triathlon. Um, uh, this was back in about 2013. Um, really in one year, I went from doing a sprint triathlon to doing a, an Ironman. And I think, you know, after my first, my first Ironman, I was thinking what, you know, what else can I do? And that was when I was, um, uh, turned on to the ultra triathlon community first, which is, you know, actually my first foray into ultra sports was doing double anvils, which um, they're not called Ironmans they are called anvils, but that's because um, it's not an Ironman brand, but it's the double the distance of a normal Ironman. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I did that in 2016 and then the DECA in 2017 and somewhere in there, you know, when you're doing double iron distance, which is like, has a 52 mile run in it you're basically running ultra marathons just part of a you know an ultra triathlon so eventually i i got a little tired of the bike uh it's, it's pretty dangerous down here in south florida trying to ride your bike so i i stuck to the ultra marathons and in fact you know probably not my finest moment was was scheduling a triple iron distance you know, month before I did my first hundred miler. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so, and I, I, it took me a long time to recover from that. I know that was about a week of, of hobbling and that was in the end of 2016. Um, and, and since then it's really been, um, 
finding races that just um and not just races but finding you know passion and and trying different things whether it's you know running track races running trail races running journey races yeah because you've done a little bit of all i mean you've done you know the six days you've done a bunch of 24 hours but then you've also done like crazy stuff like going out to ure and running a last band standing in ure that yeah nobody yeah. does that that's crazy <laughs> you know and it was funny too is i I've, I've had this conversation um with my friend greg salveson uh who was running stay in the dome with me who um his his wife is a really big trail runner and we were talking about how the trail runners and the track runners are sometimes so you know they don't even know who the 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 names are in their subdivision of ultra running. So we were laughing that, you know, the trail runners won't know, um, you know, who, who has won or who has the best six days uh, running time. They won't really know the name Giannis Koros or Joe Fegis or any of that, but you know, we, you know, those at the track won't know, you know, people like Jim Wamsley or any of the, the, the trail runners, unless they're really popular. So, um, I like to, I like to get into everything. And I, and I think um, it's almost a shame if you don't, because there's something, there's something to be gained in all the varieties of, you know, ultra races. And and it, it may be one of the things that I like, you know, so much about Laz, who's, who's really relatively famous for coming up with new ways of doing this stuff is that, you know, if you come up with a new way to push yourself in an ultra mode, um, you know, sometimes it brings something new to the table and it's fun. That's awesome. So uh, last year you did the Vol State. Yeah. yeah. And so d- did you do it unaided or? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I tried the race in 2018 and I didn't finish came back this year and um, I had a lot of changes and a lot more experience and was successful and it was uh, definitely life-changing. Yeah. And was that your first foray like into a multi-day race like that, or had you done anything before that? It it wasn't my first foray into multi-day, but it was, you know, it was my first into the, the journey races. I mean, um, Fall State really is and Hots and and you know the new one that he's putting out there called the Third Circle of Hell. These are really just you know they're they're journeys. You know they're not. I think when you take away the aid stations and you take away the the sort of normal terrain of a race and you throw everything in the mix and you put yourself on roads and you know, and parks and, and everything, it just becomes like a journey. Uh, so it's the first, first of that, that type. And I guess I tried it in 2018. So I had some experience on the road, but finishing it uh, was, yeah, it was my first finish of a journey race. Yeah. I think that's what attracted me to Swami's is that whole thing about take out all the aid stations, take out all the things that you're used to relying on as an ultra runner and go out and see what your body can do and what you can mentally accomplish. Yeah. I'm really excited for Swami. Um, 
you know, I, I heard about it, um, you know, after I had done Vol State, I was looking for more of these opportunities and I saw that it was for a really good cause. And, you know, a few years back, I was signed up to do a race on the Outer Banks called Tar Heel Ultra. Yeah. And uh, is, I don't think anybody has taken the reins of being the race director, but the year that I was signed up was the year that there was some really bad storms that had, you know, pretty much wiped Ocracoke and some of the other islands out there on the bank. So it got canceled. So um, this one is, um, you know, looks like a really great uh, opportunity. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I did Blackbeard's 100 last year. So I've done 100 miles of it, just not the sand at the beginning and the end. That'll be an adventure. Yeah, yeah. I've been told to consider carrying an extra pair of shoes on the back in the event that I uh, can't get the sand out of the ones that you start with, uh, carry a new pair and clean off your feet. So you're not running in sand for the next hundred and uh, 80 or so miles. Yeah. So what do you do on these journey type races, which I, I like your definition of it way better than mine. So how do you prepare yourself physically, mentally for these journey races? Yeah. For Ball State, what I did a lot differently on the second go around was I did a lot of walking in um, in training and um, really tried to mimic a bit of the situation. So I, I did a lot of my walking in the summertime here in South Florida. I would eat at gas stations. Um, I tried to carry my pack the same as I would, you know, on that. So mentally preparing for the fact that there's there's a level at which if you're going for plus you know 100 miles you're going to need to walk but you need to walk with with purpose so finding a good cadence trying to do 15 minute you know miles while walking you know other than other than that it's really just trying to stay you know injury free and um and mentally stay excited. I think one of the hardest parts of the journey races is that it can get overwhelming if you're thinking on day one of the finish. Um, so I would try to remind myself just, just how, how lucky I am to do these things. And it's really, you know, when it gets hard that remember how excited I was all year for, for coming back and, um, that can you know that can push the, the you need the uh, motivation when things get dark uh, to not call in and say I'm done with this right. So physically, what do you put in your pack? Like, what all do you have in your pack? Yeah, um, what did I have in my pack? Um, well, phone charger was important. I had a very poor battery pack that this go around. I will make sure that I invest in a new one before I start because my battery bag died. I have a really funny story too, is that uh, the night before Vol State uh, was Badwater and um, Bob Becker, who is the race director for the Keys 100 and the Daytona 100. And he's sort of a legend down here in South he's Florida. Amazing. Yeah. So he was running Badwater and, you know, there's no, uh, coverage on ESPN or whatever, but my, you know, friends were there and, and I was watching all the social media posts, you know, in real time. And uh, here I was in the hotel the night before the Vol State start. And um, 
I'm in my bed trying to be quiet. So my, my roommate didn't wake up and I'm watching my phone, scrolling through Twitter and, and, and Instagram, Facebook, trying to see any updates. Right. And, uh, I wake up in the morning and I realize, oh no, I forgot to plug my phone in before oh, I went no. to bed. So now I got no juice in my phone and we're about to get on the bus to go to the start. Now, you know, I need, I need uh, the map. I need to check in. And uh, of course I brought a battery with me, but it didn't, it didn't seem to work. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so what I ended up doing was, I mean, I knew the path because I had done the first uh, 60 miles or so the first attempt and I followed, you know, with others, but when we got into Martin, no, into Union City for lunch, I stopped at a subway and I really took like two hours in that subway charging up my phone. And that was a, a, a good way to get um, you know, back to full charge. Um, and eventually I was able to buy a new battery. But um, yeah, so in my pack, battery charger and uh, obviously, um, you, you know, you need hydration um, I, I carried a lot of salt pills during Vol State. I used the salt stick uh, okay. chews or whatever. And I found them, you know, gosh, the thing I was doing was, was crazy. So that was a lifesaver. Um, oh, and I brought an umbrella. Okay. Which I, I kind of felt like uh, Tom Hanks in Castaway with, <laughs> with Wilson. Like, I remember I'd be going down the road and there'd be like some really big semis and my, my umbrella would start to like blow in the wind. I get so nervous. I would lose it because it was a UV blocker and, and, you know, on long stretches, um, it would really protect from the sun. Not a bad Um, idea. You know, I didn't carry like, I didn't carry extra clothes. I didn't carry, uh, I carried some, uh, Desitin, I carried, uh, I carry some snacks. Definitely. You know, every time I would stop, I would pick up, you know, a few things. It, 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 it would be funny. There'd be times when I'd like, you know, go to a gas station and buy two corn dogs and I'd eat one and then stuff the corn dog in my pack. And, you know, down the road, I'm like, Oh, that's right. I have a corn dog. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it's, uh, you, you carry some strange things. I didn't really, um, oh, and the, I, the key thing is having credit card and, and, and some cash I'm trying to think of what else I carried. That's about the main stuff. Oh, and a foot care kit. You know, I did definitely had some syringes, uh, to pop blisters and KT tape. Yeah. I think that's about it. Cool. Cool. So you go pretty minimal on the pack, but you're actually thinking about throwing in a pair of shoes for swamis. I'm not going to probably bring a umbrella because I don't suspect we'll have the same sun issues. Uh, I will probably Wind and rain. <laughs> yeah, I will probably bring. Um, you know, I, the, the tell you the truth, the the umbrella. You know, I found it real valuable for the sun. The one moment that we did have some rain, I used a plastic poncho that I did have. Um, and that was better than the umbrella because that you know you really want to cover everything if you can. Um, yeah, so for Swami, I'm probably going to have to bring a lot more clothes. I, uh, I've been trying to look for some lightweight stuff 
that I could use. Probably going to um, consider some hand warmers or some sort of, you know, in the event I'm stuck in the dark and I need a bivy or something, because I do know that the temperature is going to be pretty cold for this Florida boy. Most likely. Yeah. Last year they started in uh, sleet and wind. So, you know, the nice thing is, is when you start, the wind will be pushing you. So the, the first hundred miles, the wind's at your back predominantly, but it will be colder than it is in South Florida. And do you, I mean, I guess now I'm, now I'm interviewing you over here, but uh, how many people are, are using crews for this race? I don't know of anybody who's using crews. The thing that I love about the journey races is that you spend a lot of time alone. And then when you see people, you are, you know, you're a lot more excited to see people than you are normally because you have not had human connection and sometimes these human beings are running a gas station who are gonna feed you so you know there's something about gratitude for other people that you develop while you're out there i can imagine i'm really looking forward to this because like i said this will be my first race of this type can't wait to see what i turn out afterwards so two things. Number one, let's start this way. Go into the the whole psychedelic thing, because I, you talked about this a little bit down at Cape Fear. So tell us a little bit about this exploration of yours. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm an academic and I'm proud of that. And I think what that means is that I, I try to both understand and communicate what we know about disciplines And with psychedelics, you know, we're seeing this psychedelic renaissance that in the last 20, 30 years, um, researchers in particular are um, pushing in a new work in the area, predominantly on, you know, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Uh, So things like MDMA and its ability to help with patients who suffer from PTSD, psilocybin and, and major depressive disorder. And So, you know, my interest as a chemist, and I also work as the director of our pre-med program, I really spend a lot of time with young people trying to understand this field to see, you know, what it is, what evidence is there, and what frames are we looking at? Because what's really unique about psychedelics is, you know, people don't take aspirin to have a good time. People take aspirin to get rid of a headache. Psychedelics, though, you know, there are people who take them just to have fun. And then there are people who are taking them who are really trying to battle some sort of mental health issue. And that makes them really unique in that do we have to medicalize them? Do they have to be used for therapeutics in order to be legal? A lot of the psychedelic renaissance is impacted by the cannabis industry, which also began with a medicalized approach with medical marijuana being the the first thing to be voted for. And now we see a lot more states that just have it as recreational. And so, you know, psychedelics are kind of riding the coattail of that, but they're a lot more powerful psychoactively than cannabis. And so that introduces some new questions are going to provide a greater risk if they're widely available. You know, what about people who have underlying um, psychiatric disorders that they're not aware of? Are these things potentially going to exacerbate or turn on a, a intense disorder for somebody like that? So my role really is to help young people navigate because Uh, We're going to see more bills pass. I want to say we're going to see a lot more of them in our um, site. And so we have to be prepared for that. 
So knowing Swami's is really big fundraiser for veterans and, you know, helping organizations that are helping veterans to overcome the issues that cause them to commit suicide. So do you, do you see in your research that psychedelics might be a contributor to helping them find a way to keep on living? Yeah, there is a large growing body of evidence working with veterans and police officers um, specifically to look at the impact of psychedelics on uh, PTSD associated with those professions. And the early research is really showing promise. And I know that there are efforts with the VAs to start to make certain things available. Um, There are some organizations already now in the psychedelic space that work with veterans to try to get them access, even if it's overseas. So, you know, there's, there are definitely people who are in support of this. Again, I am interested in, in not just, you know, being enthusiastic about it, but also being critical about it and and knowing, um, you know, what, what is the evidence on the success and, and is it, going to be something that can scale up to the, you know, to every veteran. Um, uh, so, so I, I think I come at it from a, a perspective of if we can help people, let's definitely do it, but let's also minimize risk. Hey man, I like okay. that. That was awesome. Yeah. So let's end this. What would you recommend to people who are looking to get into the ultra running sport? What's the biggest thing you would recommend to them? Oh God, uh, just do it. That's probably the first thing. Uh, if, if you have an, a, a drive and an interest, sign up. Uh, if you can find a race to volunteer at first to see what it's like and kind of you know, get your feet wet, that's a great thing to do. Uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, just start running. That's awesome. <laughs> that is That is a great recommendation. Well, Joey, I really appreciate you joining me. This has been awesome. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time on Living an Ultra Life.